Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing in packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com. When you get over there, check out their Heat Boost line. Um, Been using that. um, Temperatures when we were down in Ohio the last time uh, was down into the 20s. And that stuff is like a furnace. Like walking in with it is a bad idea. Um, When you put your hands in your pockets, uh, take them out adjust your bow, do all of your stuff, put them back in there, super warm. Um, it just kind of holds the heat in. Uh, really great stuff. I've been using the Saskatoon line. Um, great stuff. Uh, can't speak any more highly of it. Um, and I do like their other stuff. And for the Patreon giveaway this quarter, they're giving away the Fairbanks. Um, so that's like that Holton set that I really like. Um, it's just that uh one more so that holton set is the midweight and the fairbanks is the heavyweight so they're giving away a set of bibs and a set of um uh in a jacket so uh waterproof you know sherpa lined windproof freaking awesome stuff and uh, you know, they're giving it away to someone who supports the show. You know, we don't work with anybody that, that doesn't give back to the Patreons. And, you know, for us, Patreon is a crowdfunding for creators. Patreon help us run this show, do things like our Patreon hunt. Um, you know, all of the things that we do couldn't be done without 
the help of the Patreon. And we're building a community through Marco Polo and um, the Facebook group and things like that. So uh, if you want to check that out, go to patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. Really helps us out. We get entered in to win some great stuff like that. Um, another thing that we're doing, uh, working with Spartan Forge, Spartan Forge is uh, artificial intelligence for the deer woods. And they also now have online mapping. Um, so not just the app, but you can go on your PC and you can do the mapping. Uh, the mapping is free, but the prediction, all that stuff um, is uh, something that you got to pay for. But, I mean, it's it's kind of invaluable looking at what time to be in the woods. Like if you're picking a day, if you're looking at the weather, uh, if you're looking at the moon, um, all of that stuff is on there. And uh, been really paying attention to it now because we're coming into that second rut uh, as far as uh, what days to, to kind of, put aside to, to be in the woods. And, uh, again, spartanforge.ai and you can use code bowhunter to save 25%. And we give away one of those yearly subscriptions, um, as well. And working with lucky buck, lucky buck gives away a tub of their mineral, or if you can't use that, uh, some of the food plot seed. And we had, uh, kind of like a record book year, um, for our property in the UP. Now, coincidence, we're just using the lucky buck this year, uh, but five different bucks were taken off of our property where it's usually one. And then we see a couple different ones. So, uh, pretty interesting. Um, but somewhat of a proof of concept there with the, with the lucky buck, you know, our friends at, uh, Zinger Fletchings, they always give away, uh, a test pack of their fletchings and, you know, I've been shooting them for two years now and they just keep getting better. Uh, the first ones were a little loud, you know, go back, listen to that podcast, but, um, doing, doing quite a bit of, uh, testing and, and good things over there. Uh, I don't know if they're out yet, but the 3.0s fly better than any, uh, that I've shot yet. And I really enjoy those. Uh, so Zinger Fletchings, you know, they, they keep, giving us uh, uh, some fletchings to give away. And then we're also working with uh, adjustable red dot. So um, Frank's using that. My dad's using one of those. And we're going to be giving away a bow, a fully set up bow with one of the adjustable red dots here um, this quarter. Uh, We we usually try to give a bow away every year, um, each quarter. And uh, this quarter, like I say, I I think we're going to do – one of the bear archery it's going to be set up just basically like like mine it's not going to be the alaskan i think it's the the resurgence or something like that um but talking with them over at bear it's basically the same bow it's just not touted as their legend series uh but it comes as ready to hunt package so it'll have all the stuff and be easy to set up but um we're going to throw that adjustable red dot on there for you so you can check that out at uh like I say, patreon.com forward slash Bowhunter Chronicles podcast, uh, like 17 cents a day really helps us out, get entered to win some great prizes, um, you know, get an invite to the Patreon hunt for next year. But, you know, if that's not your thing, not a big deal. Just tell someone else about the podcast. This podcast is a, a really good, um, you know, it's nice to see someone give back to, um, veterans to uh, something bigger than themselves 
uh, you know, with these companies, they you say, oh, these companies, they make all this money, they do all this stuff. Uh, what, where is that going? And, uh, you know, Chris Ham with HHA started a nonprofit, HHA USA, uh, to give back to veterans with the honor flight and uh, things like that. Uh, so this podcast, you think you're going to really enjoy it. A uh, really good message here from Chris. And as always, thanks for listening. Hey everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bow Hunter Chronicles podcast, and uh, we got a, a returning guest here, Chris Ham from HHA uh, USA. Um, you might think of him as the bow sight guy, right? Uh, you know, probably one of the first, at least for me, thinking of the first adjustable single pin sight. I mean, I remember seeing them, seeing the the prices on them, and saying, "Oh man, I don't know." And then, I mean, I can tell you, I was in. Uh, a Bass Pro Shop on vacation down in Florida, and I found one of the original uh, HHA optimizers on the clearance rack for like 50 bucks, and I was like, I have to have this. And so that came home with me uh, in my carry-on and strapped to the old uh, PSE Sprint many, many, many moons ago. Um, and so, uh, like I say, that's, this is the one of the men in the family behind uh, that that technology. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the bow hunting side of it and, and products and stuff like that. But uh, Chris has kind of like taken all that and spun it into a, a bigger mission uh, with his HHA USA and his podcast and some of that other stuff. So uh, we'll get into that. How, how are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing good. I'm, uh, man, I'm just sitting here looking outside. I, uh, we're, we're hosting Thanksgiving, so I'm taking a couple days off from rifle hunting here. I told my wife it was buck only until uh, until after Thanksgiving because I didn't really want uh, want to burden her with helping me package up a deer. So I didn't uh, didn't score during rifle season our first three days of the or actually yeah first three nights of the season. So taking a few days break for Thanksgiving holiday, and then I'll be back after it uh, on Friday with uh, with the rifles, and then we can actually fill our our rifle tag with. Uh, uh, during muzzleloader season as well and then uh you can use a bow there as well so if i'm not fortunate enough to connect with a buck with a gun here by sunday i'll be uh i'll be back out with the bow and uh trying to trying to put some more meat in the freezer so so uh we had this discussion with our last uh guest because right now it's it's uh rifle season here in michigan as well um you know, for a, a a guy who has such a rich bow hunting tradition and a bow hunting company, um, and you know, uh, the people you surround yourself with are obviously going to be bow hunters, and you know, those are the people that you're gonna you're gonna gravitate to and doing all of these uh, archery shoots and and things like that. Um, how do you feel or like, what is the idea behind like, uh, do you have a conflict of interest or do you feel conflicted, uh, going out with a, with a rifle or is that just part of the tradition there in Wisconsin? No, I'm, I'm glad you asked because it's only been in the last probably three or four years that I've gotten back into rifle hunting. I mean, I did it a little bit as a kid, but not much. I just, I was, I was definitely hardcore archery for, for the first, you know, probably 20 years that I hunted. And then I think back probably 2010, 2011. I had an unsuccessful archery season. I'm like, you know what? I just want to get some meat in the freezer. So took my dad's 30-06 and went out to the farm and shot a small buck and was able to to have some venison for the winter and then and then pretty much gave up gun hunting for the better part of a decade. And it was back in 20, so 2019, my my late father, Harry Ham, he was the one that started HHA. So he passed away in July of 2019. And I had 
that fall, I had a buck that I had had on the farm for, I think it was the second year, but he was, he ended up being a 153 inch 10 pointer. And I chased that buck nonstop from September until the middle of November. I had six encounters with him, could not get him within bow range. And one of the things that, I mean, this is one of my faults, I guess, is that, you know, being in the outdoor industry and in the archery industry, you want to be that guy that can, can put that success photo up on Instagram or put it in your catalog or put it on my booth and say, Hey, my, my product works. I use it myself. Well, I hadn't been that guy for a lot of years. And so I put a lot of maybe unnecessary pressure on myself to be an archery only person. And so that, that year, um, I just told myself, you know what, I, I want this deer. If I get him with a gun, so be it. And I, I actually went into that weekend of opening of rifle season thinking it was going to be kind of bittersweet if I did get him because it wasn't with archery equipment. And the specific gun that I used was a, was a 30 out six that um, we joke around our family and around the office that it's, it's called the bad debts gun. We had a, we had a dealer back in the early nineties down in the Chicagoland area that had gone out of business, owed us some money, but was basically inventory rich and cash poor. And so instead of getting any kind of monetary uh settlement from him our our sales rep went in and essentially said well can i can i get a gun from you so he grabbed this this winchester 30-06 with a tasco pronghorn scope on it and that became forever known as the bad debts gun around the ham family and so um i i was able to shoot that buck uh opening night of our rifle season three years ago and that really it was special you know being that you know i just lost my dad four months prior to that was able to to harvest that buck with his gun um and I actually scoped myself in the process. So I didn't have a lot of pictures of it. I shot it right at closing time. So my cousin took a few pictures, you know, in the in the dark. And you can see this big kiss between my eyes where I had scoped myself. And uh, my dad had done that about 30 years prior when he was sighting the gun in. So it was just a really, really cool, probably one of the coolest hunts that I've ever had, even though it wasn't an archery hunt. And since then, it's really kind of relit my fire just for hunting in general. And so uh, kind of a long answer to your question. But no, I just, I'd love... I love archery hunting, but I, I I just love being out in the outdoors, and I love I love venison and being able to provide that for members of my family that don't hunt. So I I have no no reservations at all about rifle hunting. So, so from that standpoint, like, what would you say to guys that are? I feel like the the last five years for sure, but may, maybe you could go ten years. Um, the advent of social media um, has created this uh environment where uh public versus private bow versus crossbow versus traditional versus you know it's all this this hunter infighting and i think for guys and especially guys who are um maybe new to hunting or they have these these ideas of what they see it has to be like this and kind of like what you said this undue pressure um talk about like when you were a kid growing up hunting in a in a family with an archery, uh, uh, company, right. Did you feel that pressure even from b before social media because of that brochure type that, you know, the hunting shows and all that? I don't think so. I think the the social media definitely ramped it up because everything is so much more readily available. I mean, it's in your face. I mean, if somebody, if the, if the Drury shoot a buck last night, we know about it on DeerCast tomorrow, if not the same nights. So, I mean, everything is so instant now. Um, and I, I don't think I felt that pressure so much as a kid. I think it was just more as our company got successful. I felt like I had to be that guy. 
Um, and you know, my, my faith has had a lot to do with kind of my change in the way that I look at, at life in general. But I mean, when that happened six or seven years ago, those, those things just weren't important to me anymore. And the, the funny thing is, is that I've had more success in the woods in the last six or seven years, putting deer on the wall than I did in the first 30 years that I hunted because it's not important to me anymore. And I feel that, you know, God sees that he knows where my heart's at now. And so he has, he has rewarded me more because now I just essentially just give him all the glory for the success that I have. And I don't, I don't care if I'm on our booth, if I'm in our catalog or if I'm on Instagram, it doesn't matter to me. So. Yeah. I think guys get so caught up in what other people think that they forget about how they're supposed to feel inside. You know, when you, when you loose that arrow or, or pull that trigger or whatever, um, you know, you made that decision and I feel like that's, that's cliche because it gets said so many times, but then, you know, the, you can't compare yourself against everyone else because everybody else's scenario is different, whether it be time or money, you know, you know, some people have a lot of time, but they don't have any money so they can go out and find these deer and spend all the time in the world. And other guys have all the money, but they don't have time. So they buy a hunt or they go out and shoot the first thing that they can with a rifle and everybody else is somewhere in between. And, you know, some people are better, but some people are luckier. Um, and you know, what do they say? Like comparison is the thief of joy. It's like, you just have to enjoy being out there and getting that opportunity and enjoy being successful. And, you know, what you deem as success, you know, is always going to be a, a personal thing. So I think, the social media has just kind of put everything out in front of everybody so much more that it, it makes you feel bad about yourself. And it's like, you have to think about that when you're out there by yourself, you know, enjoying the, the sunrise, the, the foxes that you see, or the, you know, the turkeys coming down from roost or, you know, all the things that you wouldn't get to see otherwise, you know, success comes in many, many, many more forms than just antler size, you know? No, and it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, we, we use social media to promote our business. I use it primarily to, you know, promote my nonprofit and to share my faith with people. And I mean, unfortunately in the, in the filtered Instagram world that we live in, it, it's, it's, I, I think that stuff was always present to some extent, but I think social media and, and the advent of all that has really just thrown gas on a, on a, on a fire that was already there, but it's, uh, you know, and with a lot of the rifle seasons opening up, I would see that on my social media. You know, the Orange Army's coming out, and it's like, come on, guys, we're all and gals, we're we're all hunters at the end of the day. Whether we're going with a bow, with a gun, with a crossbow, if we're hunting over bait, if we're hunting over food plots, if we're up in the Northwoods and, and there's not anything but forage for miles around. I mean, the bottom line is is that we're all outdoorsmen, and there's there's too many outside forces that are trying to take down hunting we can't, we can't infight in my opinion. It's just, it's totally counterproductive to, to our industry and to our sport. Yeah. The, the infighting is, is very difficult. And, you know, uh, I feel like we here on the podcast are just as guilty because, you know, we cater to bow hunters. We, we really, I mean, that, that's, that's our passion. Right. And so I don't have the same, uh, appreciation for uh, a crossbow uh, hunt um, for many reasons. And I don't think that there's um, there, that there's not a place for it. 
Um, but I think like a lot of the, it opens up a lot of, uh, room for, for bad ethics, you know, and, and marketing has a, a you know, a lot to do with that where you got a crossbow and they're saying, well, you can hit a balloon at a hundred yards and that's their, their marketing. And then people think it's just like a gun. You don't have to sight it in. You don't have to shoot it. Um, and, and like I say, we're, we're just as guilty, uh, as that as possible, but you know, it, it is gotta be a, a hunt your hunt type type thing. And, and the fact that it gets those people out in the woods, you know, we have to, we have to respect that too. You know, that's, if that's how they're comfortable hunting and that's, that's getting them out in the woods and, you know, they're putting money towards conservation and all of the things that go for our, uh, passions as well. You know, it helps to fund that. Like you kind of got to step back and say, you know, we're all in this together. Right. That's the, that's the hope. Unfortunately, if you, if you go on social media, it looks like the whole, the whole thing's coming, you know, to a screeching halt or is crashing down around us. If you, if you get caught up in too many of those threads and I've, I've tried not to do that in the last few weeks and I just shake my head and put my phone down. So, well, and that's, I think that that, that's the way that you have to do it. Right. Is, you know, there is, you know, obviously the old adage where, you know, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all, but there's this also this troll mentality now that you've got with the internet where everybody, you know, because they, they can't get punched in the mouth or whatever. They just say whatever they want and bash other hunters and all that. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like tonight I'm going to go out and hunt and, um, I'm contemplating bringing my longbow for the first time. And, I think I've got a, a good opportunity to shoot a doe, um, but I've I've almost wanted to do like a a social experiment, right? I would love to shoot a three point or something with this longbow, and then do a nice grip and grin, and with it, and say, "Man, you know, shot this buck. I've been after him all year, or whatever." And then wait for the comments and then post that it was with the longbow or something at, you know, six yards on the ground and then see how that changes. Right. Cause I think that there's a big, you know, when you, when you see the context behind everything, I think it changes people's minds and it's like, why can't you just be happy no matter what? Why does it have to be? It's okay because it was, you did it this way or, you, you know, uh, but I think it would be like a good experiment to do um, from that standpoint, because there's so many people that are so happy for people with their first deer, with their first buck, their first deer with a uh, traditional equipment, like whatever. But then you do that same thing with on opening day of rifle season and you'll get ostracized, right? Yeah. I mean, perfect example. I mean, my, so I'm fortunate enough. I've got 160 acres of private land that I own. That's where I do all my hunting. So I'm, I'm able to, and I don't want to say grow my own deer, but I mean, I can, I can manage the deer herd to some extent. I I have neighbors that for the most part participate in QDM. And so I, I don't travel anywhere else around the country to hunt. Everybody's like, well, you own an archery company. Why don't you go to Iowa? Why don't you go to Kansas? It's like, well, I, I've got 140 to 160 inch deer running around 20 minutes from my house. I, I'm a homebody. I like to stay home. But my cousin, they hunt on uh, on our relations land just to the south of us. And Saturday morning, this you know, a few days ago, 
my my cousin shot his best buck to date. It was a it was a 14 or 15 inch eight pointer. It was like a two and a half year old buck. Would I have shot that buck if it came out? No. Because I mean I see that deer and it's like, man, he's gonna be he's gonna be a stud in a couple of years. But was I upset when I got that text from my other cousin saying that his brother shot a deer? Absolutely not. I was I was ecstatic for him because I mean it was his best buck to date. There's plenty of other two-year-old bucks running around. There, there's going to be more big deer. So, I mean, you just, you have to, as sportsmen, we have to, we have to love each other. We have to embrace each other's, you know, opinions. Even if we don't agree with them, we, we can't be so polar opposite of each other that, well, if you're not going to do it my way, that, that that's not cool. It is, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's much easier said than done, but but we just we need to we need to be a lot more understanding. I mean, you talk about going out with your longbow. For all you know, you've got terminal cancer and you're not going to be here January first. Mm-hmm. If the guy on the other end of the social thread doesn't know that, he could tear you down. You could be like, dude, I got four weeks to live. This was the this was this was the greatest hunt of my life. It's probably the last deer I'm ever going to shoot. Did that guy know that? No, he's probably going to feel like a heel if he heard the whole story. Right. And, and so, so for for you from a from a company standpoint, like. How, uh, I mean, is there a way that you can uh, kind of change the dynamic from a from a marketing standpoint? Or is it just big buck sell, so that's what we're going to do? I mean, I've, I've thought about that from time to time. It's like, how do I use our voice as, a, as an industry leader to change that narrative? I don't I don't know if we if we can. I mean, we don't I mean, you look at our social media and I mean. For, for the most part, and I'm generalizing here, maybe I shouldn't, but I mean, people people want to see those big bucks, those big elk, those trophy animals. So that's a lot of what we post on our social media. But we will we'll post other pictures that that like the three pointer you talked about. And so we try to we try to mix that stuff in there. So maybe I think we're doing it in a in a subtle way. It's not all just you know 180s and up. You know, we we don't have a we don't have a limit on what we put on our social media. So um, we're, we're I mean, I've been hunting since I was 12 years old. My brother's been at it since he was 12 and he he just turned 60. So, I mean, we've got, we have a lot of years of hunting between us. You know, my dad's no longer with us, but I mean, the three of us, you've got, you've got over a hundred years in the woods between the three, the three owners of the company. So, um, and, and we always haven't been fortunate to be able to, to chase after a deer for three years. I mean, back, back when I was a kid growing up in the eighties and nineties, I mean, if we, if we saw a buck in the woods, that was a, that was a win. If, if dad could shoot that three pointer, that little six pointer, that was a, that was a great season. And that really shouldn't change just because the times have changed. So. Yeah. And you're, you're, um, you had mentioned your property there and you had had a, a, a you've already harvested a buck early with your, uh, with your bow this year. Um, and I, I got some questions about that. So like you're 160 acres of land, like how does that set up and like, how are you managing it with uh, food plots and uh, you know water and all all of these things? Like, what is your what is your property management plan there? So I've got I've got a couple different friends that you know. There's a lot of different people that are in property management, but a, a friend of mine, Jeff Helmers from Big Rack Trophy Products. I've known Jeff for probably 15 years. He's here in Western Wisconsin. I mean, he was doing property management 20 25 years ago before it was the thing to do now. Um, uh, Thomas Milson is another good friend of mine. He used to work for Reconix, so he's got a land management firm. Uh, Jim Vandehey, another buddy of mine from Whitetail Solutions. I've got I've got a lot of different friends in the industry that do that kind of stuff, and so they've all been to my property and looked around and kind of given me their opinions on what they would do. Um, 
and we're the area that I'm in, it's it's heavy agriculture. So it's clay soil. So so crops grow well, food plots grow grow well. Um, and I actually lease part of the land out for farming to one of the local farmers. So he puts hay on part of it. He's got corn on it. Um, I've got soybeans. I've got to, you know, put in a fall blend. I've got water. I've actually got an eight acre pond on there that, that we do a lot of fishing in. So um, then there's a smaller pond on uh, on my north 80. So I've got I've got water. I've got food. I've got a sanctuary. I mean, I've got I'm the only one that hunts the land. So um I would say that probably I might put boots on 30% of it during the course of a season. And, and that's preseason and everything, maybe 40% at most. I mean, I don't really walk around, obviously, in my farm fields. Don't go on the pond much. Um, and, and I've got a sanctuary set aside that's probably a solid, probably 30 acres of it that, that I don't go in unless I have to go in there to retrieve a deer. So, I mean, the deer are very... They're very relaxed. They don't know they're being hunted for the most part. So, um, and I'm not, I'm not an expert by any means. I've been bow hunting for, you know, gosh, 35 years now and, and made a lot of mistakes. And so, uh, just learning from other people. And that's, that's kind of the, the basic layout of my, of my land and kind of what I, what I have on it. So. But you, so the deer that you shot, you, you said you've been watching him for three years or so, right? Yep. And it's something that's just foreign to me because we hunt, you know, pressured public land all over, bouncing all over. So I'm very much an opportunist as, you know, you go into a spot and, you know, you might see deer early season or you've been kind of watching them for one season, but I'm, I'm not at the level where, you know, I'm keeping tabs on these deer for, for years and years and years. So, uh, these deer are they pretty much uh like a chris ham are, are they home bodies or during the rut are they moving all over still and uh your neighbors are doing the same thing they saw that deer and they passed him as well um what is that that like for a guy who doesn't have that we'll, we'll call it a luxury but you know it doesn't have the ability to uh to kind of keep tabs on these deer yeah, and I mean, just just to clarify, I mean, th this is the first deer in my my history of hunting that I've actually been able to have, you know, year after year history on. I've, I've killed probably three or four deer that I've had on trail camera, but they typically show up that summer or maybe at most like the previous season. So I may have killed a deer that I had on camera a year before, but this is the this is the first deer that I've had that length of history with. Um, and I think having the the bedding area that I do, I, I'm, I'm 99.9% .9 sure that that buck was bedded on my property for the last three years. And he, so two years ago, he left for about a week and a half. I, I lost him for, for the better part of two weeks. I think I had a picture of him on Halloween and then it was like November 12th or 13th. He showed back up. So he was off chasing ladies for a better part of two weeks. And he had at the point at that point, he had, he had split G twos on both sides and he had busted one of them off fighting. So when he came back, he was a little, little worse for the wear, but um, yeah, I think, I, I think just knowing that, you know, and I was able to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together more after I shot the deer. Cause one of our neighbors, he and I are friends on social media and he, he messaged me shortly after I posted, he's like, you know, it's funny. He's like, I've had that deer on camera for the last three summers always in the dark. I could never get a daylight picture of him. And I had pictures of him going north on one of my access roads in the dark. 
And I would always talk to my father-in-law. He doesn't hunt, but he would always joke. He's like, what is he, what's he going over there for? He's like, you got everything. You've got food, you've got water, you've got those, you've got bedding, you've got everything. And here he was going over into that neighbor's alfalfa field, probably might've been a mile away. He was just taking a little jaunt and going around the neighborhood and then coming home to, to his bed. So. And so as part of that, like land plan, how important do you think that 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 sanctuary is and where is that located in conjunction with like other hunting pressure, like maybe your house or your cabin or, or, or whatever, like from a, from like a, the deer safety. I mean, 30 acres is a pretty big, big sanctuary, right? I mean, there's guys, you know, that listen to the podcast and even like, uh, that Mike Lindahl from, uh, domain, he's over there in Wisconsin and he's hunting a four acre property or something like that. So a 30, yep. a 30 acre stay out area, um, is pretty significant, but how is that situated on the property as far as like, based on your access, other hunter pressure, all that stuff? It's nice because I mean I can access it from three sides. I've got roads on three sides, and then the neighbor on the on the side that I don't have access to hardly hunts at all. Him and his dad and his brother hunt opening weekend of rifle season, and that's it. So I mean they've got a they've got an eighty as well, and I I don't have any dwellings on my my place at all. So there's no there's no human traffic on there other than a farmer you know occasionally running out there with his equipment or me you know randomly checking trail cameras here and there, but. Um, so yeah, that sanctuary is is I, I don't even have to walk past it. It's basically on the on the far end of my big field where I do most of my hunting and have a lot of my food in. And so um it was strange last night. We we didn't I didn't see hardly any deer last night, but the first two nights of rifle season, I think I had I think I had 20 deer in my field on Saturday night and I had 14 on Sunday night. I mean, they just they literally come out of the woodwork because they know, first of all, they know that they're safe on my property. And then once rifle season starts and the pressure comes from the other properties, they know to come in there as well. So, um, yeah, that, that sanctuary is, is a big part of, I think, why I've been able to hold deer and hold quality deer over the last handful of years. So, And how did that hunt shape up? Because it w- was it like the opening weekend of uh, bow season or it, it was fairly early? Yeah, it was about, so our season started on the 17th, Saturday, the 17th. And I, I killed that deer on the 28th, which was a week, basically a week and a half into the season. Um, and I, I had missed that deer in this exact same spot in January. I, I shot right underneath him. Um, and at the, and that was very close to his bedding area. So, um, I had a soft sided blind in there at that point, And I'm, I'm a redneck guy. So I've, I've got redneck blinds on my property. So I put a redneck blind up there this summer um, kind of changed the the layout of that food plot a little bit just to kind of close the distance. It was about a 60 yard shot across there. And the way that I did it this year, I actually planted corn 15 yards out into the field, put my redneck right at the front of that. So now I've only got a 45 yard shot across the plot. And he came out in that very, that very spot. And I, I killed that deer probably 10 steps from where I missed him in January. So it was pretty obvious that that was his that was his home range. He came out an hour and 15 minutes before dark. I mean, he came out at five after six on a, on a Wednesday night. There was this two other fawns out in the field with him. I mean, he was, he was out there grazing in my beans. Like it was July. So he just felt super comfortable and it yep. was, you know, just another day for him. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, and and what that deer score? Um, gross 169 and five days. Jeez. Yeah, I'm. I'm still. I mean, that was two and a half months ago, or pushing two months ago now, and I'm still. I'm still in pinch me mode when I 
when I look at his rack, I, you know, I took him to my taxidermist the next day and he's got the cape. I won't get him, get them out back for probably a year or so, but I've got the rack home with me. And every day I go out there and look at it and I just shake my head. I mean, he's got so much mass and so much character. He's just a cool, cool deer. I nicknamed him Houdini because he, he showed up in 2018 as a two-year-old with, with those split twos. So he was a really distinctive deer. Well, then 2019, that buck that I talked about earlier, he was the dominant buck on the property. My theory is that he basically kicked Houdini off there and said, get out of here. And then once I shot that buck, then Houdini moved back in in 2020. So he basically disappeared for a year, came back in 2020. And then it was, it was three seasons of chasing after him and finally, finally sealed the deal here in September. So, so shooting a big deer like that on your own property, let alone anywhere how does that change like your your expectations because being your property right is like you you know okay so we have the potential you know we've got the genes we've got everything that you know these deer can mature to this to this level uh but now here you are you know back out with a rifle in the same season and it's like you know some guys are like well i got to shoot one bigger than what i shot the last time or it's got to have you know some sort of uh characteristic and we just talked about you know hunt your hunt in the in the three points in, of the world so so how does your outlook change uh, on on deer hunting after shooting a big one like that it's funny because this is the first time in 35 years that i've been asked that question because <laughs> I, I mean i've got a couple decent bucks on the wall but nothing like this so it's like yeah, it was almost, it was weird. I, I did not set foot into the woods hunting in the month of October. I just, my wife and I celebrated our anniversary. I, you know, we took a little vacation and, and just got all my yard work done and, and I, I didn't hunt in October and it was, I was just kind of soaking it all in. And it was, it was a little bittersweet because I've got, you know, I run Cuddy Link cell cams and every time I get those pictures, it's like, oh, I wonder if Houdini's there. Well, now he's dead. And it's like, it's almost like I lost a friend. It's like, where do I go from here? And I have, uh, I've got a pretty nice eight point that, that in a, in a normal year had Houdini not been around, I would have shot this buck and I actually passed him up two nights prior to getting, getting Houdini. So that, that buck to my knowledge is still running around. I had pictures of him about 10 days ago. Um, he's at least three. He might be a four-year-old eight. I mean, a good, good deer. I, I would shoot that deer any day of the week with a bow or a gun. Um, and then I had a nine pointer show up right after i shot my buck he moved in literally a week later um he's at least three he might be four he's got no brow tines but he's a really really wide deer he's probably 18 wide i would say and so uh either one of those deer in a heartbeat i would shoot him and so i haven't really even though i've got a hundred and you know almost the boone and crockett deer to my possession now it hasn't changed my expectations because i mean that that could be a once in a lifetime deer for me i mean let's be honest it took me 35 years to get one granted things have changed in the last handful of years you know I, i'm stacking the cards in my favor to maybe get another one like that but if i don't i'm fine i would if i can get a three and a half year old buck on the ground every year I, I, that that that's kind of my my benchmark i've shot enough two-year-olds that i'd like to i'd like to see a deer get to at least three years old and if i can do that 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 would make me happy but it's not like well, i'm not going to shoot anything unless it's 170 plus now i'm not i'm not that guy and and, 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 and there are people out there like that it's just you know everything's all is all relative if i had thousands of acres and four or five different states that i was hunting well yeah maybe it'd be a different story but being where i'm at that's kind of my my mentality going forward yeah, and it's interesting, you know, you say that you didn't hunt at all in uh, the month of October. You know, I've had this conversation with uh, one of my buddies who's 
you know, now he's tagged out. He tagged out, I think, uh, opening day of our rifle season, he killed a buck with a bow. And, you know, once you do that, you know, if you're not hunting out of state or whatever, you're done. And, you know, something that's such a big portion of your life, you know, of your year of, of like your consciousness. And you're just like, Hmm, <laughs> you know, what do I do now? And I, I've got another buddy who, uh, actually killed, uh, three bucks, I think in six days, he killed a buck in Kentucky and then came home and killed two bucks in two days here in, in Michigan. And he's tagged out and he was just texting me today saying, Hey, I think in December I'm going down to Indiana because I, I don't have anything to hunt here. So it's, it's just, uh, it's just odd. So, I mean, it, it is interesting where, you know, uh, what John, John Browning says, you know, guns are the great equalizer, right? Um, you know, but now you got to show a little bit of restraint or it's got to, you know, because when, once you pull that trigger and you're already tagged out, you're, you know, it's, you're done. That's it. End of yeah. season. Yeah. And thankfully, you know, we can, we can hunt with our bows during our gun season here. So with our gun season and then the muzzleloader, I'll have, I'll have an opportunity either with a rifle here before Sunday or, you know, get out with my bow during muzzleloader and see what, uh, see what happens. And I have doe tags to fill too. I mean, having 160 acres, I definitely want to, want to put a little venison in the freezer and be a, be a good uh, uh, land conservationist and take a couple does too. So I definitely have some hunting left in front of me between now and now and ATA. So <laughs> yeah, but you got a lot of other stuff going on. Um, let's talk about your other uh, your nonprofit project that you're working on um, the the HHA USA. So what's going on with with that? What's the story behind that? Well, that I think we talked about that a little bit on the podcast last uh, last year, but I mean that's a that's a nonprofit that I started back in late 2019. I uh, I'm not a not a veteran, did not serve, but I just I have a huge heart for our veterans and and service members and our first responders, and so uh, just just interacting with primarily veterans and then some you know law enforcement first responders as well through our military discount program over the last decade or so. I've I've made some friendships and just heard a lot of good stories and seen a lot of the positive benefits of archery in that community, you know, especially with folks that are dealing with PTSD. And so, uh, and then I also got started as a volunteer with our local honor flight chapter six or seven years ago. Absolutely love that working with the honor flight. And so that was the reason I started HHA USA was primarily to raise, raise money and raise awareness for our and appreciation for our our service members and so we're we're just having a lot of fun here in wisconsin doing these these archery shoots we've done a couple dozen of them now and and we've got four more planned for next year some big big events with some of our our for-profit partners so um just a lot of a lot of cool stuff going on in the in the archery world as far as bringing veterans and first responders into it here in, in wisconsin and and drawing people in from around the country for the events as well and when you're talking about those events, like what do those entail? Or like, uh, you know, if somebody goes and they say, okay, well, I want to help out with the veterans or for the honor flight or, or whatever. Um, and they see these, you know, archery shoots or whatever. What do they, what does one of those look like? So it's going to be for anybody that's been to a 3d shoot, it's very similar to that. You know, I, 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 joke that I take my circus to their town. So I, I go to an existing, you know, 3d or 3d archery club and and they open their doors to us and we'll typically split the split the money you know the door monies for the participation fees for a 3d shoot and it's typically a two-day event saturday sunday just in case we get a rain out and then i've used a lot of my connections in the in the archery and the outdoor world to bring in product sponsors so we've got 
Vortex uh, Vortex Optics. We've got Matthews Bows. We've got Lacrosse Boots, Predator Camel. I mean, there's we've got 70 or 80 different product sponsors on our website that donate products. So then we will put on a silent auction throughout the course of the weekend as well. So it's almost like going to a 3D shoot combined with a Rocky Mountain Elk or a DU Banquet or Whitetails Unlimited where you can bid on those items. And then the money raised from those auctions as well goes back to HHA USA. So. Okay. Um, and so for guys who, I mean, when you, when you say uh 3d shoot, um, are these, uh, I think like when we go to the total archery challenge or something like that, everybody wants to know who, who's, um, never been there or just kind of like has heard rumblings about it or whatever. Like, like, is it a competition? Did you win? Um, that sort of thing. So, uh, what, as far as like a, com- the competitive side of this, is there anything uh, like that? No, that's more just bragging rights with your, with your buddies or whoever you bring along with you. I mean, we, you know, a lot of the clubs will still hand out scorecards. Some people don't even take scorecards. They'll bring their whole family and it's just mom, dad, and the two kids out shooting money for the cause. And they're going to grab a soda and a burger before they go home and, and have a good day. And they've supported the veterans. Um, and there's, there's definitely the, the competitive side. And I've really seen it, especially in the, uh, I think in the military community, as I've met more veterans, first responders and had the opportunity to shoot with them. There's a lot of razzing that goes back and forth and, you know, guys want to shoot better than their, than their buddies just to, to have a leg up on them and to have bragging rights until the next shoot. So there is a, there is a little bit of a competitive side to it if you want, but that's not a, it's definitely not a requirement. It's a, it's generally a fundraiser built around 3d archery. And if you want to, if you want to score, you can, but you don't have to. Okay. And then you've got a, a podcast now, like we, we kind of talked about it a little bit on the last one, but you hadn't, uh, you hadn't launched it yet. Um, and, and so t- talk a little bit about that and how that's going and what that's kind of centered behind. Yeah, so I, that was something that was actually born out of the of the pandemic. I mean, you know, March of uh, 2020, we we all got shut down. And I mean, I had eight events scheduled for that year. And at that point, we were still doing indoor and outdoor stuff. And so I think we we still ended up salvaging all eight of our events. I think we had to push one of them from April back to August, uh, but we still held all of our events. But, uh, you know, here I am all fired up about the fundraising season and wanting to to spread this message kind of in our first full year as a nonprofit. And three months in, it's like we're stuck on the couch. And so uh, I just got thinking and actually just basically said a, a prayer. And it was a very selfish one. But I just asked God, I said, you know, give me give me a means to promote this thing without leaving my house. For as selfish as that sounds. And I had done probably maybe a dozen podcasts prior to that, uh, just coming on as a guest, talking about our business and such. And um, the idea just came to me. It's like, well, why not? Why not start a podcast for HHA USA? I have conversations multiple times a week with different people, be it veterans or be it you know sponsors or or friends, just talking about the HHA USA cause, talking about honor flight, talking about post traumatic stress, and it's like why not why not put a microphone in front of those conversations and share them with the world? And so that was that was kind of how that idea was born. We started it in April of 2021, so we're we're about a year and a half in. Um, not lighting the world on fire with downloads. I wish we had more, but I mean, we are, we are making an impact. I mean, I had, I had a gentleman that uh, I had met just, you know, electronically through our military discount, probably seven or eight years ago. He lives out on the East coast. He's a veteran. He's got post-traumatic stress, loves archery. 
archery has really, really helped him cope with that. And so we've stayed in touch over the years. Well, then he found out that I had a podcast last November and just basically went on a binge and listened to every episode. Now he's caught up. Um, we have since started to have phone conversations. It wasn't just email. And then he drove out halfway across the country for one of our events last year. And it was probably one of the coolest weekends on the HHA USA circuit that I had, just being able to share that weekend with him, get to meet him in person and and just kind of share his story uh, or share our own respective stories. And, uh, you know, he's a man of faith as well. So it's something that it's I've, was able to make a new friend through this podcast and and now he's a big part of what we're doing and and going forward it's just it's conversations like that and and you know those kind of things that make the podcast all worthwhile even though we don't have millions of downloads and what is the 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 topics or the message um like so who is your who is your listener you know who's who's the podcast focused uh towards for yeah yeah, I mean it's it is it's aimed at our veteran and our first responder community. It's aimed at civilians that have a heart similar to mine that want to help out. Maybe somebody's listening that you know has an uncle or a brother or a spouse that was in uh, you know Vietnam, and maybe it gets them on the honor flight. So it's it's got kind of a broad broad audience. It's pretty much anybody that's passionate about the veteran, first responder, and or archery community, or a combination of those things. Okay. And you guys are also doing um, uh, a film series. I know there was a film last year at HHA, and then you've got a few different films that are being put out um, on your YouTube and like through social media and stuff like that. Um, talk a little bit about those projects. Yeah, so that was born out of a uh, – so Sam Ubel is a good friend of mine from Chase Nation here in Wisconsin. He's got a production company. They have a hunting show. Uh, streaming hunting show that they do called Chase Nation. Great guys. Um, Sam and I connected. It's going to be, I think, three years ago uh, this past summer. And just the more the more conversations that I had with these veterans and and first responders and hearing their stories, they were they were very forthright in wanting to share those. And a podcast was one means. But as Sam and I got talking about that, it's like, well, why don't we? Why don't we document these with a, with an actual video? And so that was that was kind of where that whole idea spawned from. And so we launched the first one uh, late last year. It debuted at the Badlands Festival at ATA. It actually took I think fifth place in the Badlands Festival. Um, and we've done we've done two films since then. The third one, uh, or actually the fourth and final film for this year, is just we're just getting ready to wrap that one up and launch it before Christmas. But we basically do four films a year. Um, just to share those stories in, in hopes that they will change one person's life. I mean, that's, that's why I started HHA USA. That's why I started the podcast. That's why we were doing these films is that, you know, if we can raise millions of dollars, great. If we can send folks on hunts, get bows and arrows in their hands, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, the goal is just to change one person's life and anything else over and above that is a bonus in my eyes. Yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to like kind of have you explain to you. Um, I feel like, there are some really uh, wolf in sheep's clothing uh, veteran, you know, nonprofits, right? Where they have big, uh, big costs for, you know, logistics and everything. And the money that actually gets down to 
to the veterans, you know, is is marginal compared to the money that's taken in uh, for some of these, uh, you know, big name donations, you know, where it's a veterans uh, thing. So uh, what is the money going towards and, and how is it being uh, filtered down through to to the the end user to the to the veteran right yeah so we've got if you look on our website we've got six or eight different other nonprofits that are veteran first responder based that we filter money to so we're, we're kind of a, a middleman or a, a fundraising mechanism for those organizations that we're passionate about like i said the the whole premise of this was formed around Honor flight was kind of our primary focus when we started out and then to raise awareness for the 22 a day that take their lives. We, the first couple of years, we donated 20, the other 22% to these other organizations that get servicemen and women out hunting and fishing. So we work with a group called Wounded Warriors in Action. They were started by an army ranger here from Wisconsin. They currently put on 60 to 80 events across the country every year, whether it be hunting, fishing experiences for for veterans. And I think, I believe they work specifically with Purple Heart veterans. And so that's, that's their niche. Um, we work with a group called the Neistead Foundation, started by a gentleman by the name of James Neistead. If, if any of your listeners are familiar with, uh, with Chuck Norris and the old uh, Delta Force movies from the eighties, James Neistead was one of the original Delta Force guys and huge outdoorsman. So when he got out of the service, he just saw how beneficial, uh, being in the outdoors and hunting was for him. So he wanted to start his own organization. And so we work with those guys. Um, any baseball fans or buck commander fans, I'm good friends with Adam LaRoche. Adam's got an E3 foundation, E3 ranch foundation where he works with vets. He just had his vet hunt this weekend. So we work with Adam as well. So uh, we distribute monies to those folks. And then, uh, like I said, honor flight was kind of our big thing starting out. And when I, when I started doing these shoots, I did them for three years without HHA USA. I was essentially working under our local honor flight chapters, 501 C3. And every time we would put on a shoot, you know, we would raise anywhere from five, six, maybe eight grand a weekend. And I would have this big wad of cash and checks in a, in a Ziploc bag. And the co-founders of the honor flight from our chapter here live about an hour away. So we would meet halfway in between at a subway for lunch. And, and we'd do the money exchange in the parking lot. And it would almost feel like an old episode of, uh, Miami Vice, you know, the drug deals going down in the parking lot. And, and that's a kind of a rabbit trail I'm getting off on. But I, I say that because one of those lunches, Jim Campbell, the co-founder, looked at me. He's like, man, if you if you keep this up, he said, you're going to be able to fund a full flight at some point. And he kind of laughed. And I said, well, how how much is it? What is the cost to fund a full full honor flight? And it, it's seventy thousand dollars. And I said, well. I said, be careful what you wish for, Jim. I said, that might happen someday if we uh, if we get our own organization off the ground. And we were able to make good on that promise in August. That was a, that was a goal that I had put out with our volunteers and with my board of directors when we first started is that we're going to we're going to fund a full honor flight. And so we were able to give them the big cardboard check at our first annual banquet uh, in August. And so October of next year. We'll be HHA USA will be sponsoring a full honor flight out of central Wisconsin for 100 to 110 veterans to fly out to, to Washington, D.C. for the day and see the memorials erected in their honor. So, yeah. And so, uh, you know, you'd mentioned honor flight and I know we talked about it on the last podcast, but for people who aren't familiar with, uh, you know, what what that is and what happens on one of those, um, can you kind of just explain 
you know, what you're, what you're funding there? Yeah. So honor flight, anybody that travels, I hear people all the time, if they're not familiar with honor flight, they're like, oh, that's what that was. So if, if you're ever traveling in an airport and you see a huge reception for, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of red, white, and blue flags, American flags. You're going to see a lot of older gentlemen, occasionally some women walking through with uh, either t-shirts or polo shirts on all the same color. Good chance that's an honor flight. And so Back in 2004, there was a gentleman, his name was Earl Morris, and he was a, I believe he was a doctor's physician in one of the branches of the military. And as he started seeing more World War II vets come through his clinic, at that point, they were in their late, mid to, mid to late 70s. And they had just built the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. And so Earl would ask them, hey, have you been to the World War II Memorial? And 99% of them said no. So that was something that God put on Earl's heart is that he thought, well, man, these, these guys are going to be, you know, their health is only going to decline as they get older. We have to put together some sort of a mission to get them out to DC free of charge to see this World War II memorial. And so that's how Honor Flight was started. I believe it was 2004 or 2005. Um, he basically uh, was able to, to commandeer a private plane with some pilots that he knew, and they flew a dozen dozen or 15 World War II vets to Washington, D.C. That that was the very first honor flight. And fast forward to 2022, there's now, I want to say there's 136, 137 chapters across the country, honor flights, and they send World War II, Korea, and Vietnam vets to Washington, D.C. for the day to visit all of those memorials. Um, and it's I mean, it is an awesome, awesome experience. I've been fortunate enough to go on. I've been on six honor flights now as a guardian uh, and accompany veterans out to D.C. for the day. Just just being in that civilian chair and seeing the impact that it's had on them and their families. I mean, it's it's hard to put into words the, the power of an honor flight. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, that, that kind of puts it into perspective, like what what you're doing, right? So not only... Uh, giving money to these other organizations that are doing these great things with veterans in the outdoor space. Uh, but you're also saying, okay, well, we're going to put it on ourselves to make sure that we get these people to see the, the monuments. And, and uh, you know, I think that's, that's incredible. How do people get chosen for, or how do they apply or whatever to, for an honor flight? So honorflight.org is just the, that's the national website for all the chapters. So if you're anywhere in the 50 states, they just recently added an honor flight in Alaska and Hawaii. So I believe if all 50 states, some of the Western states that are less populated may not have a branch or or a, or a, uh, a flight in their state, but they might take you to another state. So uh, basically any any veteran of a, of a U.S. war from World War II, Korea, or Vietnam is eligible to go on an honor flight. And they don't have to be, one of the misconceptions is they had to have been there you know, actually in country, in combat. And that is not the case. It's a, it's, it's serving during that conflict. So if you were in Vietnam, but you were stationed somewhere else, but you weren't in country, you're still eligible for an honor flight. So uh, that that's probably the best place to go is just honorflight.org. And then uh, you can kind of look by your state there and that'll funnel you into the, the individual chapter like Wisconsin. We obviously have a lot of veterans here because I think we have more chapters than any state in the country. We have six different honor flight chapters here in Wisconsin. So Okay. Um, and then what is, um, what events do you have coming up this year for HHA USA? So we had done, as I talked earlier, we had done eight events in 2020. Last year, we cut back to six. Um, 
And, you know, and basically we were six years in, we were three years in as a nonprofit, six years in doing these shoots and, and being a homebody, I kind of selfishly kept them all pretty close to my house. So every shoot that we had done outside of one was basically 60 minutes from where I live. And so everybody in this area is very familiar with HHA USA, what we're all about, but we started to get more emails, more posts on social media. Hey, when are you coming here? When are you coming there? So we've decided to drop our number of total shoots down to four in Wisconsin, but we are now branching out. We're doing a big event south of Madison, which is where Vortex is located. So we're doing an event with them at the end of April next year. Um, and then we are doing uh, returning to Toma, which is just outside of uh, uh, Sparta, where anybody that's a Matthews fan, that's where those guys are located. So that's Cranberry Country over on the kind of the southwestern part of Wisconsin. We'll be back there the weekend after July 4th, I believe. And then uh, heading to Racine, just south of Milwaukee. Uh, they've got a great club there. And the nice thing about it is it's only 15 minutes south of Milwaukee. So we, we're getting more and more people that are wanting to fly in from around the country for these events. And Milwaukee is the cheapest place to fly in in Wisconsin. It's only an hour from Chicago. So uh, doing that event. And then we're also doing our hometown event here in Wisconsin Rapids. And that will also be piggybacked on with our second annual banquet that same weekend. So we're going to have our banquet Friday night, which is co-hosted by Whitetails Unlimited. And then we have our shoot here in Rapids on uh, Saturday and Sunday. I believe that's August 18th to the 20th. So and then there's a couple other things that are are still in the works that I, I'm not quite ready to talk about yet. We could possibly have one event outside the state next year uh, and then working on a, on a private fundraiser with some friends as well. So we've got a lot of, a lot of good stuff in the works for, for 2023 and beyond for HHA USA. And if that's not enough, you run a full uh, for-profit company as well. So what's, what's new over on the HHA sports side? Yeah, we, uh, we did something here this past summer that we haven't done in, probably the better part of a decade, we we did a mid-summer or mid-season release. So we, uh, we've been getting a lot of demand over the last three or four years for a, for a multi-pin site or basically a two-pin site because that's the one, the one argument that we get from anybody that's reluctant to switch from a multi to a single pin. What happens if the deer moves? And that's exactly what happened to me on that buck in January. I was shooting a single pin site. I was full draw on them at 20 and a younger buck saw me come to full draw spooked they both took off now he's at 40 and i just misjudged with my 20 yard pin and i shot right underneath him so we've got a it's not it's not new technology i mean there's been sites around like this for many years but we just finally got around to making another one but it's essentially a single pin site with a with a second fiber you know a half inch lower than the than the top pin so uh, and then it's got dual needles on it so my my second or yeah, my second pin comes out to 35 yards. So now I've got basically 20 to 45 without having to adjust the site. So that that argument's kind of out the window now. And that that site just came out in July. It's called the Rise series and it's been very, very popular for us. So we don't we don't have anything new coming out, you know, January 1 here at ATA. That was kind of our new product for 2022 and a half, 2023. And then uh you may see some new stuff from us again in July if we decide to go that route. Otherwise we're we're working on designs right now for, for 2023 and a half, 2024. So. And so with the product launch in July, um, you know, I, I, my exposure to the industry is, you know, obviously less than yours, but even in the last five years, 
there's been an incredible change. And I feel like, you know, COVID had a lot to do with that, with, uh, you know, not have, I think the companies had success with outside, outside of the shows and they said, okay, well, maybe we don't need to do this, uh, you know, on this, this level and put this kind of like monetary commitment into going and setting up all these booths and all this stuff. But I, I feel like even in the last three, four years, the bows are coming out now, you know, right now we just saw Matthews drop their new bow. Hoyt's got their new bows out and, you know, your, your archery tags haven't even expired yet for the bow you bought this year, if you bought a new one. Um, and so that timing of the market and when these products are coming out and stuff like that, how do you, as a company, how do, how does the timing go into it? Like, you know, that had been a big, big change after, you know, 20, 30 years of, you know, every year we have to have this ready for ATA and we got to have something that's going to make a splash and, and all of this different stuff. And then in the middle of July saying, all right, this is when we're going to do it. So how, yeah, how it does that was, decision get made? It was, and it was a little, I don't want to say it was a risk. I mean, it was a, I mean, it's a risk getting out of bed every morning, but I mean, it was a calculated risk and coming out with a new product basically at the height of busy season when for the last 18 months we had been running behind you know just because you know we got shut down for for eight weeks in, in the spring of 20 you know winter and spring of 2020 we had to grind right to a halt and then start up from scratch i mean we've been fighting tooth and nail just to get caught up and so it seems kind of almost counterintuitive to to launch a new product right when you're still trying to get caught up from from the hole that you were in um but we just we saw you know several of our competitors had a product like that and and it was very it was probably one of the easiest projects that we've ever had to engineer because it was essentially three new parts it was a new pin and a pin holder and we had to do a little bit of different machining on one of the components on an existing product so it's not like we had to start from scratch with a brand new recipe we were essentially just changing a couple of the ingredients on a current one so uh it just it made total sense and i mean the the launch couldn't have gone smoother. I mean, I guess in a perfect world, we would have had a thousand of them sitting on the shelf for when we when we pulled the cover off. We, we had just gotten into production. So, I mean, there was a little bit of a delay from the time that it launched till it came out. But I mean, it was, uh, we, we did have some product in the pipeline to our dealers before, before launch date, or I think it was the week of launch. So, um, yeah, kind of a, kind of a long answer to your question, but it just, it was a, it was a pretty easy new product to come out with mid-season that way um and something that we definitely knew that there was going to be a demand for them I'm, I'm glad we did it because now we we were able to you know kind of steal some peg space hopefully from our competitors going into 2023 so when the trade show season does roll around now and our sales reps start knocking on doors uh you know everybody's going to have familiarity with with that rise site already and hopefully hopefully continue to buy them so now is there trepidation going into the first part of 2023 that you don't have that new product or or whatever not really because i mean going into 2022 we uh you know our, our tetra line is still fairly new i mean anybody that's been shooting an hha for a long time knows the optimizer i mean the optimizers where it all started back in 1996 the optimizer is still around but we came out with the tetra back in 2018 uh and then really kind of put a lot of efforts going forward into that a couple of years ago so we feel like there's still a lot of a lot of meat on the bone and a lot of freshness with that tetra line and and continue to you know add features here and there i mean that's that's one thing i mean the whether it's a bow or a site i mean the the technology has advanced so much in the last 
10 years that it's like, how much, how much more can we really do? How much more change can we really bring? Um, and so it's just kind of just continuing to refine. And, and so I don't, I don't have any, any fear of not having anything new, new, uh, just because I know that not everybody probably that wanted the rise was able to get one, you know, within the last three, four months here. So that's, that's essentially a, it's still a pretty new product for us, even though it's not brand spanking new come, come January one. Okay. And so what does the, the future hold for, for HHA, uh, you know, HHA sports? Well, we're, uh, it's hard to believe. I mean, like I talked earlier, my dad started our company. That was 1984. So, I mean, we're coming up on our 40th anniversary here in another, another 12 months where we'll be getting ready for a big 40th anniversary celebration. It's, it's crazy that it's been that long. It's the only job that I've ever had. You know, I, I, I was working there probably before the child labor laws would let me. So, um, but as far as the future goes, I mean, we, we had been making, you know, arrow rests for the last few years. Um, got back into stabilizers and for as good as those products were, we, we felt like they were almost, uh, I don't want to say a distraction, but I mean, we were, our, our demands for our sites is just sky high right now. And so we, uh, we decided to get out of the arrow rest and the stabilizer market going into 2023. So now we're just a site company so we can focus all of our efforts there. And I mean, we want to be the, we want to be the biggest and the baddest and the, and the best site company on the, on the block. And. I think we, uh, you know, our reputation kind of speaks for itself. We're we're pretty humble guys. We don't like to brag a lot, but we've got a we've got a pretty rock solid following, and and just looking forward to continue to grow that with more more new products on the site side. And so, uh, you know, it, it's sometimes tough with a lot of guys that have friends in the industry, um, and especially with companies or whatever, to be like somewhat un unbiased towards your friends and, and, and everything like that. But so like, what's your, I mean, I can almost guess your bow setup, uh, like what your what your what you're running and everything. But like for, for this year, when you, uh, shot that deer, um, what is, what was your bow setup arrows, all that? Uh, I'm shooting a V3X. So I'm a, I'm a Matthews guy. And surprisingly, I mean, yeah, we're, you know, I'm an hour and a half from the Matthews factory, but I only started shooting Matthews probably 10 or 12 years ago. Um, and I would historically shoot whatever bows our sales reps would have just because I wanted to kind of help those guys out. And it, you know, I had opportunities to, not that I needed a discount on a bow, but they're like, Hey, we got the new XYZ. Why don't you give one of those a try? So I would, I would get to meet a lot of those manufacturers just through other circles and stuff. So I, I finally switched to Matthews, you know, 10, 12 years ago, love their stuff. So yeah, I, I was shooting a V3X and then, uh, um, shooting victory, uh, VAP TKOs. Where was my arrow set up and, and rage, rage hypodermic, uh, two blades. So. Okay. And where do you fall in the, uh, cause, um, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head. Uh, it was Joel, Joel Maxfield, right. From, yeah. from Matthews. Yeah. He, he puts out all the information on the arrows and arrow front of center and, uh, the efficiencies and all that. So like what, where do you, uh, fall in that, uh, you know, heavy arrow front of center type stuff. What, what, what's the total grain weight, all that? I'm going to plead my archery ignorance. I do not know <laughs> my grain weight of my arrows. I'm, I'm not that guy. And I, Aaron, I was on Aaron Snyder's podcast earlier this summer and he asked me the same question. And I just, I wasn't about to try to try to fake it till I make it. I just, uh, I, I was, I was shooting a regular victory up until earlier in the summer. And then my sales manager had switched to the to those TKOs, the weight forward ones. So I decided to switch to those. And, um, 
the 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 penetration that I've gotten on those arrows has been crazy. Just shooting 3D the last half of the season, and I don't know if it's just that some of the targets were getting wore out, but I was I was getting better penetration with those arrows than everybody that I was shooting against. And I'm I'm a 30 inch draw, you know, 60 pounds. I'm not shooting at 80 or a 90 pound bow, so but I do have a fairly long draw length. But been been really happy with those arrows and the the funny part on that. Well, not funny part, but on that buck that I shot this uh, this September. He was broadside at 25 yards. I was 99% sure I was going to get a pass through. I was I was six inches below the back and four inches behind the front shoulder. And that deer actually went down right in his tracks. And what had happened is that that rage must have hit a rib and it kicked right up in his spinal column and put him put him down on the spot. So unfortunately, I had to I had to get down and give him another arrow. But just the the impact of those arrows was was pretty impressive to me. Um, one of our one of our shoots that we do, they have a custom. It's a twelve foot tall gorilla target. A guy made it out of plywood. It's got fur on it. He's got a morel bag target in it. We put it out at eighty five yards. I, I was shooting those those vaps at eighty five yards, and those arrows were actually going through through that bag. It was a brand new morel bag target, and it was blowing through them. And I didn't felt bad after they, they're actually having to cut them out. The like guy was cutting out my arrows out of this bag target with a pocket knife. And I said, Oh, I'm done. I'm done shooting the novelty target. I don't want to destroy your guys target on you. And so for all of those, um, 3d shoots and everything, are you, do you have a different bow for target shooting or is it one bow, your hunting bow for everything? Yeah. One bow for everything. I, I had, I had two different, uh, V3 X's this summer just because we hadn't quite launched the, the rise site yet. So I didn't want to show that off. And I mean, we had shoots in, May and June and early July. So I shot the one bow with the single pin on it up until, you know, the weekend after 4th of July. And then we were within, within about a week of launch. And I think I brought my other bow out at that point with my rise sight on it. So, but no, I just, I don't do, I'm not an indoor spot guy. I'm just a, just an archery hunter and a, and a 3D guy. So I, I like shooting my hunting setup all year. So. Awesome. So if guys have questions or whatever, or like, let's say they listen to HHA USA, or the podcast and they are like, you know, I know someone who would be great on the podcast or, you know, you know, they want to get in touch with you or something like that. Uh, how would somebody go about that? Yeah. So we've got a website for HHA USA. It's HHAUSA.org. Um, my email's on there. That'll come directly to me. I'm the only guy that checks it. I also run our Instagram and our Facebook page. So if you message either of those, that's going to come right to me as well. So people can track me down there. And then, uh, and then our, our podcast is, is, on there as well and it's on other you know other platforms apple podcast spotify you can find it there so okay and then uh, i would assume that that's where all the information is disseminated for all the shoots and any of the other things that you've got going on yep yep i kind of put the cart in front of the horse a little bit i was just anxious to kind of get the schedule out there so the the 2022 schedule is still on the website uh, that will be updated here, uh, not before Thanksgiving, but probably within the next, but before Christmas, for sure, our, our entire 2023 shoot lineup will be up on the website. And, uh, one thing I'm kind of going back and forth with, I think, uh, we might push to strictly online registration this year, but yeah, people will be able to, to start getting, getting shoot tickets for those events coming up in, uh, in 2023. That's going to be here before we know it. So. Well, awesome, Chris. I really appreciate you taking the time to, you know, sit down and and chat with me this morning and uh yeah we look forward to uh you know making it out to one of those events this year um like you know we had talked about it previously but uh i'm really looking forward to that so uh, i'll get to 
get to meet you in person. I love it. I love it. I'm looking forward to it, brother. I appreciate it. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving. Yep. You too. Thank you. Thank you.